Welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and as always, my good buddy Dan is here too. Dan, how's it going? It's really going well. Been a busy week, fun week, but I am excited to sit down and talk some scrolls. Uh, this week we're actually going to be catching up on some of the comics that share a name, or at least some story beats, with the new Secret Invasion Disney Plus show starring Samuel L. Jackson that actually just dropped the first episode a few days ago. And yes. So we're going to be able to cheat a little bit by having some idea what it is we're talking about, but not too much. So An explosive first episode, if I do say so myself. And uh, yeah, I definitely was thinking, wow, there's some a few similarities, but there's lots of differences as well. And we're going to get to talking about all of that here in just a little bit. But first, let's talk about some comic book news. Lots of interesting stuff coming out this week about some books that are coming out in September. But the one I wanted to highlight, I think, is the one that kind of made the biggest flash, which was Marvel announces Tony Stark and Emma Frost's wedding. Marvel Comics has confirmed the wedding foreshadowed long ago is going to take place during the fall of X in the pages of X-Men 26 and the Invincible Iron Man number 10. Uh, Jerry Dugan is writing both of those issues. Stefano Caselli will draw the X-Men issue and Juan Frigieri will provide the art for the Invincible Iron Man. Lucas Wernick created a pair of covers that will connect to form a single image across both books which is kind of tony stark and emma frost basically walking down the aisle together it's a it's a rather wonderful picture the link uh for in the show notes will take you to that if you did not see it on twitter marvel has retweeted it it's on the official marvel website as well dan what do you think about this because uh yeah the first comment was these two don't seem like the marrying type <laughs> much less to each no. other this is very weird. The comic books, man. This makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. They're from different parts of the universe, and Tony's had a number of other seemingly more compatible um, girlfriends and, and love interests over the years. I have no idea. It is definitely a power couple wedding that, that brings together sort of the Avengers side of the Marvel Universe and the X-Men side of the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. And that's... A little unusual. We'll see how it all works out. I'm, I am not waiting for this with bated breath. Let's put it that way. No, I, no. I can take this or leave it. The uh, okay. The wedding issues are not this, my thing. But so we'll this, see. this definitely feels like one of those like TV show, uh, you know, May May or September sweeps sort of things where they're trying to get really big ratings, and so they have this big, huge wedding that that is gets everybody to tune in and then all of a sudden something crazy happens and it goes from there but that was that was kind of my first thought when i saw this and it's like oh gosh what is going to happen as a result of 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 this happening you know what's going to happen because this is happening what's going to happen as a result of this happening that sort of thing so i guess we will yeah, find out 
there are times when the people who, who kind of laugh at, at superhero comics as sort of, you know, soap operas for boys can uh, you can you can find reasons to to sort of make that judgment if you'd like to. Yeah. And this this is a days of life days of our lives type of development, if ever there's been one. So we'll see. They they move this along. They're still you know, Batman and, and Catwoman were supposed to get married for like two years back uh, a couple of years ago in the DC universe, and it all fell apart. So we'll see if this if this pairing actually comes off as well. So sure, sure. No guarantees with a comic book wedding. Uh, of course not. Uh, new in Marvel Unlimited this week, we have two number number ones that are going to be available: Women of Marvel number one and Avengers. Rage of Ultron, number one. Uh, the Women of Marvel actually looks really interesting. This was published back on March 22nd of this year. And the little synopsis about it says, Hear them roar. Marvis, Marvel's fiercest heroines take the spotlight in an all-new Women of Marvel one-shot. Get in now for the preview of the women creators taking Marvel Comics by storm. Power Rangers scribe Melissa Flores sends America Chavez on a pulse-pounding adventure. She-Hulk steers straight into the gutters, and she loves it. Silk spins a wild web through New York City. All this and more as Women of Marvel celebrate more than 10 years of uplifting characters and creators you know and love, and the ones you're about to. Uh, I, I definitely love seeing uh, these great women characters getting a spotlight shown on them in this in this form or fashion especially when it's women creators behind them as well so uh definitely i'm going to check this out i think interesting very cool yeah they've been doing a number of these sort of like targeted uh one shots and, and special issues and the like they do the pride issues and another women one the fact that it is an issue or at least all of the main creators appear to be women. I wonder if the editors and the like, if they've if they've got pretty much an all female creative cast or the like, we have to actually look in a little deeper to find that out. But hey, Chris, great cover by Erica Durso, and that uh, that does look interesting. More She Hulk is always good. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, Fifteen books in total are being released this week: uh, Photon, She Hulk, Carnage. Punisher, The Wasp. There's two amazing Spider-Man books as well among those that are getting new releases available this week on Marvel Limited. So plenty to check out there if they're if you're looking for something to read. Uh Dan, recommendation this week. I guess actually there was a book that that's coming out this week as well that I would like to to note to recommend, and that is the Secret Invasion number five. Since we're doing Secret Invasion, they actually not only did the series we're going to spend a bunch of time talking about um, in 2008 called Secret Invasion, but we're also going to talk about the Secret Invasion series from this last year, 2022. And the last issue just came out on digital this last week. I would, I would actually really enjoyed that story, kind of as a, uh, a spoiler for later in the episode. Uh, well worth taking a look at if you're interested in that. I ended up reading it as well, and so yes, I would agree. I think that is a 
a very good series. There's five issues. It, it reads really quickly, and uh, it's a pretty good story. But as you said, we'll probably end up talking about it a little bit. So let's dive in and let's talk about what was in the stack for this week and uh, give us reasons why we were looking at these books. Sure. So the stack for this week started out just being Secret Invasion number one through eight. But as the week went along, I kept throwing more books at Twain because number one, <laughs> I couldn't help it. Uh-huh. But number two, I think I realized just how inappropriate the books that I had originally like provided to you were. That more and more, especially after the first episode came out and I, I got a chance to watch it, it was just obvious that The Secret Invasion from 2008, you know, when they said that the directors weren't supposed to read The Secret Invasion comic books, right? they really meant it. They did not take anything <laughs> from those comic books. So, no. be, be, it, so I'm like, let's try some other things too. So we're going to talk Secret Invasion 1 through 8. I also am going to talk a little bit about Fantastic Four number two, Secret Invasion number one through five, and then just to throw even some more that I didn't even get a chance to talk to Dwayne about, there is a Meet the Skrulls book that came out a couple of years ago that I also want to talk a little bit about now. So I've been going through and finding more stuff that's interested me as the week goes along. So Fantastic Four number two, first appearance of the Skrulls. So that's just kind of historically the the place you begin second issue of the marvel universe the scrolls are already there they are the second oldest adversary in the marvel universe only mole man is in is in front of them right really okay yep unless it was another story in that book but i think it's just mole man's number one and scrolls are two secret invasion then uh this is the eponymous storyline it's a storyline that theoretically you'd figure the show would be based on it was from 2008 it's eight books it's this just earth-spanning battle between scrolls trying to take over the earth and all of uh the planet's heroes secret invasion number one through five from 2022 is more of a sort of spy thriller you've got maria hill who is trying to find out what's going on and she's got people sort of trying to pull tricks on her left and right, whether it be someone impersonating uh, Nick Fury or Tony Stark being Tony Stark or whatever happens to be going on. (laughs) So, and then the last ones that I just kind of want to talk about a little bit are the ones called Meet the Skrulls, which is about a family of Skrulls that has been sort of embedded in a human uh town and they are essentially like a deep cover spy family oh it's pretty okay. entertaining stuff i did not get a chance to read about that but so that one i i definitely have some uh i'll, I'll be learning right along with you dear listener if you uh if you have not if you've not read that before but before we dive in and we talk about all these books, let's talk about a creator profile this week. And you're looks like you're profiling one of the artists from the 2008 Secret Invasion set. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of Lionel Francis Yu. He is a Filipino artist who's worked with 
Brian Michael Bendis, Jonathan Hickman, a bunch of the other big writers for Marvel. He's been a presence for the last 20 years on a lot of Marvel's big books. Started out uh, with Wolverine, did a lot of work with Wolverine. He's also drawn the X-Men, the Avengers, New Avengers, other high-profile event tie-in books and things like this. And, of course, he drew Secret Invasion, one of the actual lead big event series for Marvel. Right. So, interestingly, he also got his start by winning a competition. We talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. Wizard Magazine had a drawing board contest every year back in the day. and Wizard was a sort of a comic industry magazine that had creator interviews and then also had a price guide in it and all sorts of stuff. Uh, that helped him get the attention of Wildstorm and Marvel. And he's been doing some, you know, this for a long time. It's interesting how he changes his schedule. The Philippines are on a very different time schedule than the U.S., and so he actually says that he's changed his work hours so that he works overnight from about 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. his time. So really? that he's on essentially the same schedule as U.S. comic publishers and editors and other collaborators. Burn. He says it's also nice because it's a really quiet time to work because there's no detractions. You can't <laughs> go shopping or right. you know, it's not like you're going to go out and hang out with friends. So... It, it is just the sort of thing an artist would do if you're a little bit just sort of uh, need to get yourself hunkered away. I like the fact that he talks also about when he does a book, like when he's getting ready to do a comic, he'll do over 100 sketches and just sort of lay everything out so that he gets all of his characters and technical details and everything else sorted out. I think that's one of the things I like about his work is that he uses kind of a sketchy style especially on faces but everything's well defined it is really easy to tell who his characters are because he uses an extremely distinct and accurate facial structure for everybody so his tony stark looks different than his wolverine than his clint barton than his whatever else and he maintains that very carefully through the comic so he's got a far more accurate and and planned style where he'll figure out exactly what a character looks like before he actually starts page one, so that it looks the same the whole way through the book. So, really that would good, be, really good artist. I, I was going to say, that would be really important with, like, this secret invasion book, where he is drawing literally every character in the Marvel yep. Universe. Uh, some of the, you know, a lot of them being on the same page, and some of them, you know, mo more than one version, because we had a scroll version and an actual human version of of several of these characters fighting each other. Uh, yep. So it Absolutely. was it was quite something. Yep. So other than that, you know, dynamic artist, obviously. He's also a musician, and he's somebody who's been a big influence on a lot of the upcoming generations of young Filipino comics pros. And for those folks who are, are comics fans for a while, the Philippines is just an amazing source of talent it's kind of like the dominican republic for shortstops you've got the philippines for comic artists because some of my favorite 70s and 80s artists and even guys into today you know like tony duzaniga we've got nebrez uh, or alcala um chan nino 
Francis Manupal, Pagulin, Portacio, all our, our current artists. Just some really, really great artists and, and draftsmen coming out of the Philippines. All right, let's let's dive in. And so we're going to talk about some of the older work of the of the scrolls in the MC, in the uh, in the Marvel Universe first. Yeah, so I've divided this into three parts and we're just going to kind of go through kind of a, a little bit of inside baseball here. When Dwayne and I did our previous podcast, Phases of the Moon Knight, as we were winding it down, we talked about what was going to be next. And Daredevil was one of the options. There were other characters. One of the things that I had pitched was that we would move on to doing the Skrulls yes. in preparation for Secret Invasion. Essentially starting with Fantastic Four number two and going through the whole history of the Skrulls in the Marvel Universe. So had that been the case, we would be at sort of the culmination of our year's work right yes. now. But as it isn't, there are quite a few older scroll stories that are important to sort of the creation of these um, these later adventures because they set the stage for who the scrolls are and what world they live in. When they started in the Marvel Universe, it was Fantastic Four number two. Fantastic Four was still kind of partially like a monster of the week type of comic. So this is this weird little story about how the FF actually go out on vacation. So they're in this remote cabin out in the woods and they don't have a phone or anything like that. So they don't know what's going on in the world. While they're there, a group of shape-changing aliens take their place and start committing crimes as them. Getting them in trouble where the military is going to come after them and everything else. So eventually the military shows up at the cabin and tries to arrest them. The FF find out something's wrong. They defeat the aliens and they actually then trick the Skull Armada that's waiting out in the sky to see what happens with this initial infiltration of taking out the FF. They trick the Armada to going home by impersonating their own impersonators. So they go onto the ship as themselves, pretending to be scrolls, and say, man, you don't want to mess with Earth. And they, the Armada turns around and leaves. They go back down. There's the four scrolls that were the initial ones that had been sent to impersonate them. And they actually, rather than like putting them in prison or sending them away, they're sort of, they don't want to be exiled. They're like, we just want to live our lives. And so Reed Richards says, how about we turn you into cows and make you forget who you are so you can never turn into anything else. And then you just live your life as cows. And they say, sure. What? And so these are the scroll cows, the famous scroll cows that we will see later on because they, they actually return. This gets picked up later. Good so case. that was the end of the first scroll adventure is the four scroll cows just hanging out in the pasture, chewing their cud and uh, done with their evil plans. <laughs> that, that is, that's kind of ridiculous. It's 100% ridiculous. Welcome Welcome to the early Marvel Universe. So right. that's where they started. And then after that, you had a couple more stories a little later on. You got a new scroll called the Super Scroll, who was one character who had all four of the powers of the Fantastic Four. 
So he would be a regular combatant against them. But we really didn't see too much from the scrolls until Avengers 89 to 97, where we have something called the, the Kree Skull War. So this is a storyline in the Avengers comics from 1972, where the Avengers are actually sucked into this interstellar conflict between the Kree Empire and the Skrull Empire, who have been enemies for generations or thousands of years, and they both own massive parts of the galaxy, and they're always fighting with each other. One of the Kree, Ronan, who we see in Guardians of the Galaxy, having his dance-off with Peter Quill and everything, right, is actually in this story, and he's the one who starts everything by coming to Earth and trying to devolve the Earth, getting rid of all humanity to turn it into a Kree base. As part of defeating him, Captain Marvel ends up being saved from the negative zone, the Avengers break up due to pressure from politicians. Three of the four cows from back in Fantastic Four, number two, are found and are turned back into scrolls, who then start causing trouble again. Some of the Avengers are captured by these three ex-cow scrolls. They are kidnapped into space, and then the other Avengers try to help them while also freeing the Inhumans from being controlled by the Kree, who sort of the, the mad brother of Black Bolt has gotten into, into league with. Eventually, Rick Jones, our old man Rick Jones, who we've seen occasionally, I think you remember him from some of the previous ones, the, the young guy who's always hanging around with the Hulk and the like. Yeah. He gets brought into the story, uh, that's partly because he's with Captain Marvel in a lot of his stories. But he ends up gaining godlike powers through something called the Destiny Force that then allows him to end the war. We also find out that Fourth Cow Scroll had actually gotten away from the farm earlier than the others and ended up taking a place of the senator who'd been the one who'd been attacking the Avengers and making them look bad in the press and in Congress. That had been the thing that caused them to disband the team. So they're like, okay, that was just a scroll. Let's get back together. They reform and they proceed on into issue 98 with everything back to normal. Wow. That is, that sounds like quite the, uh, quite, quite the story arc there. Yes. And it is a little ridiculous. It also though was fantastic. So four of these issues, number 93 to 96, were drawn by Neil Adams, who is one of my lifetime favorite artists. Uh. And there are still, like, uh, panels of Triton coming up on a dock or some of the others that are just burned into my memory even after all these years. So visually, a lot of these books are just a feast. The story does get a little weird sometimes, but it's fun. It's also unbelievably important to later cosmic storylines because both the Kree and the Skrull become increasingly important over time. You know, Captain America had all, or Captain Marvel, who is a Kree character at that point, he's a guy and he's a Kree. Um, not to be confused with all of the, the other Marvels that come afterwards, but he was actually in a number of storylines where he's doing much the same sort of 
uh, looking at his own society and Cree culture and going, man, I'm just not interested in this because they're very warlike and tend to be tend to be troublemakers in the galaxy. The the way that they're portrayed in the Captain Marvel movie is not that terribly far off from the way they're portrayed in the comics most of the time. So there we go. So early on, the scrolls are kind of bumbling and they're a little goofy. Later on, they turn out to be not so much so. They're also fighting a truly awful enemy because the Kree starting out are this highly militaristic, highly legalistic, and very aggressive people. And the, the Skrulls are also very, very aggressive and they're constantly trying to take over the earth and take over other territories so they're both bad but what for, what thomas did especially in the kree skull war is he actually looked at this almost as an allegory of think of earth as one of these pacific atolls or islands that is being continually invaded and fought over by japan and the united states during world war ii right sure. and you're just some people trying to live your life and there's mm-hmm. these idiots running around trying to murder each other left and right all day. And, you know, that's that's sort of what Earth had become there, is between Ronan trying to turn it back into prehistoric times and the Kree trying, or the uh, Skrulls trying to take it over, the Earth was just sort of this little pawn in this larger game. Right. And so, yeah. I do think it's interesting that in the comics, for those of you who've mostly watched the movies, especially Captain Marvel, the Kree Skull War is not nearly as one-sided as you would think it is from looking at the movies. Uh, the Kree are extremely powerful, but so are the Skrulls. They are not just this defeated refugee population, at least initially. Yeah, that was kind of the impression that I got. Like going into this, it's been a little bit since I've seen Captain Marvel, but just the idea of like shape changing a race of shape changing aliens, I think would be exceptionally difficult to fight given the chaos that can be caused and the paranoia that can be caused. And it's like, even if the Kree are really powerful, I would think that it would be exceedingly difficult to to match up you know use the full force of your of your you know military might against a, an enemy that can make themselves look like you yep correct and that actually has been an argument and it's one of the reasons why i think it was it was of of all the things that you can argue about on the captain marvel movie the way they handled the rationale with the scrolls that they're always going to be attacked and sort of mistrusted just because of the fact that their natural ability makes them very d- dangerous and potentially destabilizing uh, is is interesting. Early on, though, they were both big empires. They were both very strong. And Earth was just sort of there trying to somehow keep from getting run over by all of this. So other things this story did, it kicked off the Vision Scarlet Witch romance, uh, opened up the cosmic universe to new stories, and has been a key building block for a lot of Marvel stuff coming out from there. Sounds good. So we've talked about the kind of the early introduction of the scrolls. 
Now let's dive into the Secret Invasion 2008. Kind of this, this is the first actual like title Secret Invasion, right? And this was a yep. huge Marvel Universe event that spanned, I think you said something like 98 books. Yes, some ridiculous number. Yeah, because what they did also is then once they revealed that a lot of these, well, we'll talk about it. A lot of books, let's just say to start with. And for the longest time, not only is it the first Secret Invasion, but really up until six, eight months ago, it was the only Secret Invasion. Like, this is sure. Marvel's Secret Invasion story. Yeah, right? no, that makes sense. I I did want to point out that... Uh, you can actually get the first two issues of the 2008 Secret Invasion books uh, on digital if you go to marvel.com slash redeem and put in this, the code SECRETMU, MU is in Marvel Universe, you can actually get uh, the first two books digitally as long as you do that before September 1st. So. Uh, if you if you haven't read these books recently and want to look at them or uh, you uh, just don't have these and, and would like access to them, uh, you can you can go ahead and do that. I I got that coupon code. I ended up redeeming it and thought I would pass it along because it looks like it went out to uh, a bunch of people on a mailing list. So I think I can share it. So. All right, let's talk about secret invasion from 2008 this is the brian michael bendis books the the specific the main eight books uh that have that secret invasion title it it has the artist is linnell francis Yu, who was our creator profile this week let's talk about this because we thought this would be kind of where this story was maybe pulling some story beats from uh before we dived in and saw the actual first first episode this week yep so i would have originally thought that at least a lot of the story beats maybe not the massiveness of it but some of the ideas a lot of them would come out of the the secret invasion but it appears really that this is another one of those where they just took the title because they liked it and i guess maybe maybe we could have we could have seen this coming because that's kind of what we got with Ultron as well. Um, sure. You know, the, the age of Ultron really had very little to do with the age of Ultron event. It was right. about Ultron and that was good enough. This is an invasion. So they decided to just keep it. So this story, again, like you said, it's by Bendis. It spans out into 90 some other titles and spiders through an entire summer, uh, and and more. It's really a huge story. It's ridiculously complex, and involves this long-running plan by the Skrull Empire to infiltrate all levels of human society, including the ranks of humanity's superpowered protection protectors. It's led by the Empress Varanki, who is a previously sort of like imprisoned side royalty. And then when the Skrull homeworld gets blown up, suddenly she's next in line. Which I believe, didn't John Candy come to the British throne or something like that in a movie back <laughs> in the 80s due to something like this, I think. 
King Ralph or something. I can't remember who that was. But it's it was, basically something like that. Is it John like Goodman? I want to say it was John Maybe it's Goodman. John Goodman. That's Goodman candy. It's all the same. Anyway, the <laughs> Dwayne is now looking this up. because he I have. So, in any case, Frankie then has studied Earth and its heroes. Evidently, he's won. It was John yeah, Goodman. Evidently. It was John Goodman. <laughs> so, um, she studied Earth and its heroes, and after a big run-in with the Illuminati, she gains a lot of information, comes up with a plan. So the invasion actually involves years of planning, and the replacement of key earthlings with scroll duplicates so they replace the earthling and then what we're going to find out is they don't kill that person they keep them someplace because they need them somehow because there's a brain transfer that's done that somehow lets them get the information and the skills or whatever that they need to replace the person eventually though the plan has to move into high gear because electra's revealed to have been replaced by a scroll we then see the scrolls working to disable shield, uh, break up the Avengers. They let loose supervillains from a lot of the big prisons to cause confusion. They attack organizations such as the Thunderbolts. Reed Richards is ambushed by a scroll posing as Hank Pym. A ship full of heroes that's been replaced by scrolls actually crashes into the Savage Land, and we have numerous hero-on-hero -hero massive battles that ensue. Superpowered scrolls are everywhere, it seems. Then nobody's able to detect them because the previous detecting methods or whatever no longer work. It's only after someone saves Reed Richards from the big stretchy plastic prison he was in or whatever, and he then comes up with a new scroll detector that Earth then is able to turn the tide. Eventually, there's another big battle. The Skrulls somehow turn the Wasp into a giant bomb. That bomb explodes, but Thor is able to contain it, which means that the only one who dies is the Wasp. And essentially, somebody says, you know, one thing that's not a good idea with Earthlings that you don't realize is killing their friends makes them angry. And all of the hero community looks at the Skrulls, and you know they're pretty much toast at that point. Yeah. So they, they mop them up, and... At that point, we just kind of go into the the end phase where, because of the fact all this happened on Tony Stark's watch as director of S.H.I.E.L.D., he loses his gig, S.H.I.E.L.D. is sort of shut down, and we enter that phase where Norman Osborn, who was the one who delivered the kill shot to the Skrull uh, Empress, is actually elevated to be in charge of sort of the replacement for S.H.I.E.L.D., and his thunderbolts and the like come to have more power. Leading into all all sorts of new story at that point. I was going to so, say, it, it it felt like it was very much setting up uh, a whole yeah. host of, of future stories, both uh, it through, throughout the, the, the Marvel Universe, I'm sure. Yep. I would, I would say that is true. I, I'm not sure I necessarily loved the stories they set up, I'm not that big of a Norman Osborn in charge kind of fan, <laughs> but it was it was what it was. So, so these are the books I had you read, Dwayne. Yes. What did you think of this story? Easy to follow. This, I, right? oh, uh, um, no, it was 
I, I cannot stress this enough. Every character was in this book. Every character, it felt like you saw at some point. There was so many characters, you know, the big characters, as well as like small characters. We find out Jarvis was replaced by a scroll. We find out, you know, uh, all, all sorts of people, like random, like celebrities and politicians. There was this page where basically the scrolls talk, uh, start, you know, telling people that they're invading and so they have like Stephen Colbert and like all these like talk show hosts and and like the president is one of the one of the one of the scrolls and they're just like you should welcome the scrolls in with open arms and they're here to save you and 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 we're gonna make things better and we're not going to attack you we're only going to attack people that are going to stop us from doing what we want to do, which is take over everything. And you had so many characters, and then you had all these characters that were characters, but they were actually scroll impersonations of those characters. And there was this dialogue back and forth with the Empress and Tony Stark, where she's trying to convince him he is a scroll and i i honestly and she's posing as spider woman mm -hmm. i didn't know if she was a scroll i didn't know if he was a scroll i didn't know <laughs> what was going on and then all of a sudden you know she's getting shot at and then she leaves and then like tony doesn't know if he's a scroll or not at that point then because she's done such a job on his on his head that it was just it was there was too much it was too confusing it was craziness yeah i have to apologize because i think that i've mentioned a couple of times that there are certain stories that are great to give people to sort of get them into comics or to get them interested in particular characters and the like this is a story no one should have to read unless they are unbelievably invested in this particular time of Marvel Comics. Because you have to read everything, or yeah. none of it makes any sense. And yeah. even a lot of the things that are supposed to matter, like, you know, Mockingbird coming back after being assumed to be dead, or just, a, you know, the the various characters that are coming back together, the fact that a lot of these characters now you're starting to if you've been reading go hold it all of the character all of the stuff i've been reading in captain america for the last 2 years is a scroll yeah that yeah cuz right? captain america was on the ship being held prisoner mm -hmm. because he had the because he had to be yeah. there in case they needed his his stuff i guess <laughs> they needed his matter uh, to make sure that they could keep up the ruse. Yep. And now what we're looking at is essentially almost this weird scenario where they start going back in the regular comics and looking at how this worked with the scroll being the imposter and what was actually going on while they were being that hero for the last however long. Oh, God. And it's... I had forgotten that I gave up on this series at a certain point and just 
I mean, I'd read it, but it took me a long time because it's frustrating and it's confusing. And so I'm glad, first off, that they didn't try and adapt this. <laughs> yeah. Because it would be crazy. Now, if they wanted to, they could have, you know, frozen away Black Widow somewhere and we can get we can get Black Widow back at the, at the at the end of this because Natasha comes off a a scroll vessel or something and it was actually her duplicate that died but i think people would burn everything to the ground if they did that too so it's probably sure. best that they don't yeah, so probably probably not <laughs> but uh yeah basically i i found this one to be frustrating i like the art i think you did a nice job. I like some of the dialogue. And obviously for the massive job that he had to do in terms of getting all this story told, Bendis did a workmanlike job. But this was almost more like there was so many boxes to check that it wasn't really a story. It was a bunch of events that needed to be put into the comic book so that they got told. Yeah. Well, so the one thing that I noticed that that I think um, kind of threw me a little bit is we had this this story and for the first seven books it felt like it was a logical sort of story that made sense that there didn't feel like there were any interruptions or anything that from a from a main story standpoint anything that didn't appear in the books and then all of a sudden we get to book eight the final book of this series and it went from at the end of book seven being kind of in the middle of the battle between the scrolls and like the marvel universe and trying to put you know see who could get the upper hand and kind of at the end of book seven we had the superheroes from earth sort of kind of coming a little bit ahead and looking like they were maybe going to be able to pull this out after all despite the fact that you know they're going up against this really powerful foe to book eight starting with kind of a an after the fact sort of narration of what happened next and i was like oh crap i know there were all these other books that happened and it hadn't been a problem for the first seven books but it felt like there was something missing like i had somehow missed something really important that had happened and so like i was worried like we went from it, there being doubt in how this was going to end to this just being matter-of-factly, hey, this ended, and we see kind of the wrap-up of the story. So it was really weird from a, from the standpoint of just reading these eight books and trying to understand the story because it, it, it felt like there was a big gap. Yep. And, see, it's a little bit weird because in actual fact, and this kind of goes into the MCU, so not to spoil too much, but the thing that we don't see is, and I think it's one of your questions, what happened to the wasp? And she actually ended up being like dropped into the microverse or something like this. Kind of like happens to her in the Ant-Man movies by whatever it is that, that Thor had done. So she does not die there, but nobody really knows that. Oh. So, yeah, uh, I guess nobody dies, obviously. <laughs> sure. Don't be sure. silly. Yes. So. 
We, I, I, I mean, I guess I assumed that Janet Van Dyne died, and like that's why no one was responding to Hank Pym when he's like, "Where's Janet? I'd like to well, talk." Well, to nobody Janet. knew then, obviously. So yeah, yeah. So it was, it was, it was sort of weird because Hank was one of the people that was replaced with a scroll, and actually the scroll uh, stopped Reed Richards from being able to, for most of this serious set of books, be able to help out in any way, shape, or form until he was rescued. Yep. Uh, Because uh, he was on a scroll ship. He was he was taken from Earth to a scroll ship and being held and ended up having to be broken free by a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And then that's when he was able to create the device that allowed for them to, to determine who yep. was a scroll and who wasn't. Yeah, so it all got really confusing. So I think that what really happened is, and Bendis did this in some other ones too, the last the last issue, number eight, is really just sort of a wrap-up. So that yeah. the the secret invasion ends at the end of seven. <clears throat> and then eight book eight is essentially just them looking at what happened and getting ready for this whole new Norman Osborne thing. It's going to be called Dark Rain. And so it's sort of a preface to what's next right and not everybody likes that obviously that you know you you kind of have this uh-huh. almost like a a letdown with the final issue being just sort of a bunch of talking really nothing happens in issue eight no i didn't even know who was talking it, it took you and i talking before we started recording to even figure out who the narration was that was telling us what was going on because one thing i didn't even notice was the fact that it was it was two people talking and and because there was two different colored narration bubbles so it was basically yep. we were seeing what was happening as they were talking about it and and just kind of going back and forth and and what you figured out was that it was the president talking to norman osborne because towards the end of the book it kind of transitions from that narration or that discussion into the president making the announcement that norman osborne and the thunderbolts are going to be the new the new group in charge to ensure something like this doesn't happen again yep great idea great idea president so how, how could this go wrong i mean yeah just ridiculous so but uh so really, though, we've got some discussion topics here. But other than that, this story, from the get-go, the thing I guess I'd like to note to listeners, this is not a story you probably have to read to get ready for the Secret Invasion TV show. No. I would I would say there are a number of different books. We're going to talk about some of them that would be a much better way to prepare yourself for the TV show than watching these things. Especially if you're not planning on reading like all 90 of them, because it's kind of a, it's kind of a confusing mess if you're not really into it. And I will note that for those who were really invested, there were some cool returns, there were some kind of shocking moments and the like. So they took some big swings with this, but you have to be really invested for them to have, have connected. So well, go ahead. Well, what do you got for me, sir? Well, I, I mean, I, 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 we've talked about a couple of these sort of unanswered questions. I think one of the things was when you had all these characters, there were, 
that that were being shown some of them for the first time in a little while or being reintroduced i didn't know uh who mockingbird was i i did not know that clint barton was not hawkeye but ronin he is both he's both okay yeah the the one that there was a scroll Hawkeye and a non-scroll Hawkeye, I think, and one of them was Ronan and one of them was Hawkeye. Okay, okay. So, so yeah, so there were a number of characters I wasn't familiar with. Uh, there was this uh, one of the kind of unanswered questions is a uh, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones had a baby, and Jessica Jones is watching kind of on the sidelines because she's watching their baby. And decides that she's got to go in and help Luke and the rest of the the superheroes. Leaves the baby with Jarvis, who, as we talked about earlier, was actually a scroll. And she realizes that Jarvis was a scroll after the fight has ended, mm-hmm. and goes searching for for the baby and Jarvis back where they were at before she joined the fight. And the scroll and the baby are gone, so now there is a a missing baby. Uh, story arc that that presumably would proceed out of this series as well yeah it is really again kind of in in some ways anachromatic what essentially happens is they track down the scroll and tell him he'd better give the baby back and so he does okay sure so I can't remember exactly what all, but that's that's kind of what it uh, what it amounted to. So the the other thing that it dawned on me is like we find out that you know we have all these scrolls that are impersonating superheroes, and so they have this ship out in space that is holding all of these all of these people. Are we to believe that they had a the same ship or a different ship where all the celebrities and politicians that they had replaced presumably as well. How did those people end up back, you know, and replaced and returned? Partly at first I was thinking they would only have, have kept the people who they needed to like get the powers from or whatever, but there were a lot of shield agents on the ship as well. So I suspect, yes, that somewhere Mm. else there had to have been, or they were keeping them on Earth, or maybe some of them they just killed and didn't worry if it was his exact duplicate. Oh, yeah. And so, who knows? Uh, Not explained was, to my yeah. satisfaction. <laughs> no. Uh, and then finally, I was just... There was a exchange in Book 8, or I guess lack of exchange, between Nick Fury and Dum Dum Dugan, and I think... You you were saying you thought it was the Contessa that was with with yeah, him. I think so. And and yep. and Fury was basically just ignored them. And I was just sort of curious what that was all about. If there was some sort of animosity or something that had happened before this series that had then spilled over, despite the fact that du- Dugan actually is Im- important insofar as uh, right at the end of book one. It is Dugan on the sword space station, the shield space station that blows mm-hmm. up the, the space station and all the people, the shield agents and all the all the extra people that are on this 
on this ship uh, as part of that initial kind of onslaught by the scrolls. And so you have, maybe that's why he's upset. I guess I don't know, but it was just weird that they were like, Hey Nick. And, and he just sort of turns his back on them and walks away. Yeah. And I, I don't know why, but I'd agree that somehow or another, there was something going on there and probably we'll find out later, but I don't really know that that did not make any sense to me. Those were basically my questions. Maybe we should jump in and let's talk about these, these newer appearances. Some that I think have maybe a little bit more bearing on the story that we're seeing start to play out on the Disney plus TV show. Yep. And this is something that the last couple of years I've been reading some things through Marvel Unlimited and like, but I haven't been reading the whole Marvel universe anymore like I used to when I was uh, when I was younger. So a couple of these books slipped by me, the Meet the Scrolls especially. But there's two comic series that, having done a little research and then just reading through this week, I think would be much better books for someone who wants to get a flavor of what they're going to see in the the actual Disney Plus series. One is Meet the Scrolls number 1 through 5 from 2019 and one is Secret Invasion number 1 through 5 from 2022. So talk about them here in in order. Uh Meet the Scrolls I just read about like 2 days ago. So I didn't dare to mention it to Dwayne even. Like, hey, how about I just throw another 5 books at you before the podcast? So I'm doing this on my own and that is not any of his fault. It's just my uh, bad planning and cowardice. So what this is, though, is a book about a family of scrolls that has been embedded on Earth. The parents are spies, and while on, the, on Earth, they have had three daughters, and they are training their daughters to also sort of help them. So they go out on spy missions with all of them kind of impersonating people and doing stuff and whatever. Each member of the family, when we start the story, has been given the task that's part of undermining something called Project Blossom, and they need to succeed to be able to pave the way for another scroll invasion. One interesting thing that goes untalked about for most of it is that there are family pictures with five of them, three girls and the parents, but there's only four people around the table when they have supper. So there's a missing member of the family, right? Eventually, their daughter Alice has to prove that she's worthy of the family's trust, and everyone learns that the secret of Project Blossom is tied to their youngest daughter, who's been kidnapped and is being experimented on in a secret lab within Stark Enterprises. Eventually, there's all sorts of twists and turns. I don't want to give maybe all of it away, but they're betrayed. They manage to come out on top. They save the other daughter. But one member of the family pays the ultimate price in order to uh, to save her. So it's a good story. It is very much a a story sort of like, um, for instance, the Americans TV show. I, I was I know if immediately thinking that. about that. Yeah, I was. I have not seen much of it, but that was my first thought. Is the way you were talking about this sounded a lot like that. Yep, and with the whole aliens embedded as the sort of lead up to an invasion 
it also has a bit of an invincible feel. So there's a little bit of that as well. In any case, it's this classic Cold War spy story that's just been moved out to an interplanetary scale. So I actually really enjoyed this story. I think it's well worth reading. The reason why I came across it and decided to mention it to folks is that there are rumors that Amelia Clark's character, Gaia, is actually based on the mother in this story, who is also named Gaia, or her Earth name is Gloria. Now, she could just be playing a same, a scroll with the same name, because they decided that's like being, you know, Dan or something, where there's lots of them around. But it also could mean that they are incorporating this sort of scroll family motif into this secret invasion. So if that's the case, look for her to be sort of uh, the mom of uh, a, a few kids that also are scrolls and then will be part of the, the spying enterprise. Otherwise, the main protagonist in a lot of ways, the character we follow along with and is our viewpoint character, is Alice, who is the middle child in the family. And she's had some issues at school. She's trying to, her, her job is to get information from the popular girl but the popular girl keeps making fun of her so she can't make friends to get the information and it kind of goes through and and has a little bit of that part of the story as well but really well done uh, well drawn well made i i actually really enjoyed meet the scrolls so yeah so the other set of books that you that, that you talked or found out about Secret Invasion from 2022, you you did send along to me, and I did end up reading that set of books. Tell us a little bit about that story, because I, I think that actually feels very much like what we saw in the first episode of the Secret Invasion TV show. Yep. Yeah, I was really disappointed after not only hearing that specifically the the people who made the show were not even looking at the books we were going to look at but also after reading them and going hey, i don't think this is really something Dwayne and i are going to want to talk about for a long period of time so looking at the new ones that just finished up I mean, literally the fifth one just came out a couple days ago so the story just finished up and became available to us digitally but this is a much more controlled affair than its predecessor it's written by Ryan North with art by Francesco Mobley. He did the pencils and the inks and then colors by the wonderful Jordi Belair. This is another story of espionage and secrets. So it begins out with Nick Fury. He goes off to Iowa to investigate a mysterious death and ends up getting kidnapped by a family of Skrulls. They then impersonate him. But Mar- Maria Hill actually sees through this deception pretty quickly. Her and Fury have a secret communication they use whenever there may be scrolls wandering around um she captures that scroll that comes to see her and then a bunch of other ones kind of sets off the alarm that there's something going on and then actually goes out and finds a lot of the superhuman community and makes them take a blood test to prove they're human essentially they extract some blood put it through a uh microwave or something to kill it and then it's going to turn green if it's scroll blood and if it's not it's going to stay what it was and they find out that the black widow is actually a scroll and however tony stark is not a scroll 
even though he is, because Tony Stark has a bunch of scrolls impersonating him, like you do, and has even convinced them to wear a blood patch with his blood in it that they can have the blood taken out of that and pass this test. So he's employing this group of scrolls as doubles to essentially wear the Iron Man armor and go around and do things he can't, yeah. which seems kind of sketchy. Uh, but Mar the only, uh, Maria Hill the decides... Only thing, sorry, the only thing better than one Iron Man is like, you know, half a dozen Iron Men doing sure. God knows what. And normally he does this with his, his robots, but he decided evidently to just have scrolls because then they can even look like him if they have to take the helmet off. Right. So, Maria Hill's not particularly impressed with these doubles at first because she doesn't trust skulls, but she does or scrolls, but she does decide to trust them, at which point they help her pull off a doubles cross that ends up saving the day. They find a way to trick the lady who's the who's in charge of things. When she gets out, there's a big fight, she's defeated, and the uh, the scrolls help save the day. So what did you think of this one? I actually really liked this story. It was, it, it definitely had kind of that spy thriller sort of vibe to it. I I liked kind of, there, there was a lot of focus on the Maria Hill character. And that is not a character that I think gets a lot of attention a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she seemed very much like a badass in, the, in these books. Mm -hmm. And the fact that her, her and Fury have this like code from way back in their shield days to, so that they can tell whether or not one's a scroll. Like she knew immediately he was a scroll. And then like, at one point you actually don't think that she's willing to go along with Stark and his scroll doubles and looks like she has uh, killed all of these scrolls that, that he's been employing and working with only to find out like in the final book that, that yeah, it was a big setup all to try and uh you know set up this person this scroll that was captured allowing them to get free get brought to their lair and, and all this sort of thing and the cavalry is able basically able to come in and and wipe up the rest of the scrolls that were were looking to invade the earth yeah and and as a note it's always good to have a captain of marvel around because this would have still ended with nuclear explosions because the the missiles did get sent, but yes. she actually was able to to stop them. So yes, because the uh... scr the scrolls plan was basically they were controlling a lot of nuclear weapons throughout the United States, and they were basically yep. going to detonate them all at the same time throughout the you know causing basically just nuclear winter. Yep. So. No, I, I enjoyed this one a lot more. I think it was a a fast-paced, interesting story. Maria Hill is definitely the star. And, you know, it's got Nick Fury in it quite a bit, but he spends a good part of it being kidnapped or just sort yes. of, you know, visiting with her. Tony Stark is in, but he's probably as much trouble as he is good on on balance. So it was, a, it was an interesting story, though. I, I think I... I like this one uh, both for the art and for the story and just the way they handled things was, was pretty, pretty well done. 
Yeah, the the art looks good throughout this, and and the, I guess the thing from the story standpoint that that jumped out to me right away is you had scrolls that were kind of siding with the humans in this, not dissimilarly to how we're seeing at least in the first episode of the TV series. You have Nick Fury yep. and Maria Hill working with a scroll to try and track down this leader of the bad scrolls that is looking to do harm to earth and and start this this big invasion thing and so you could you you saw some a little bit of a similarity between the stories from that standpoint yeah and this really is of the ones we've been reading the first one where you had a substantial look at scrolls that were not somehow trying to invade because yeah. even in the the meet the scrolls books until they were betrayed by their own kind that whole family was ready to help the empire take over the earth so they were they were not good guys they were they were on board with the plan right up until everything went bad so i think i think i like this because it does start to show sort of that there are there are factions among different groups of people scrolls are a difficult concept to deal with in yeah. modern storytelling and i think that sort of you know they're they've got them here as more sympathetic there's two sides some are working with stark um even so this is in at its base, a story about a group of outsiders trying to come in and, you know, invade the country. So when we talk about big picture stuff, there's stuff about the scroll stories where they're kind of almost a nightmare fuel right out of the McCarthy era. You can see how the scrolls would have been created in 1960 or 60 yeah right yeah you definitely can so they're about who can be trusted who's real and they're sort of based in this fear of outsiders right yeah one of the things about scroll stories is that they're always in danger of turning into sort of an apology for these great replacement racial and ethnic conspiracy theories and this is something I, know that I not only think they have to be careful about in the comics, but also definitely in the TV show. That there is a, there's a very fine line that has to be walked here, and we'll see how well they do it. The, the, the second Secret Invasion book, I think, has sort of the blueprint for being able to at least start to deal with the characters more effectively. But we'll see how it goes. What did you think in terms the, of the the thing I liked about that second set, the the Secret Division twenty twenty two, is you had Maria Hill who admitted by the end of the book that basically she looked at all scrolls the same way, and that even when she first realizes that Tony Stark has employed some several of them to act as his double to go out and do things to try and help for the good of humanity she she's like she doesn't trust them and she she's willing to paint them all with the same brush and she, she realizes that you know not everybody is the same just like 
all humans aren't the same. Some people act remarkably different than one another. And so it was, it was a great, I, I thought it was a, a nice lesson and a very quick lesson that they were able to tell as part of that story. There you go. Very cool. So, so those are our, our kind of books to get things going and the like. Um, it's interesting how these two secret invasion stories take such different strategies for dealing with the concept. Right. So before we get into our other questions, it looks like they're not going to do the sprawling action ethic epic. They're going to right. do more of the personal spy thriller. Uh huh. Do you think that's a good choice? Are you happy with that? I mean, I think you would expect that Marvel would go to the big sprawling action adventure epic sort of thing. But I actually think that this story that they're probably going to be trying to tell works better as sort of a spy thriller sort of thing. And even though it's not necessarily kind of the, the type of story I gravitate towards, I'm willing to give this a watch to, to see how this goes, mm -hmm. because I think we don't always need to see this giant uh, action spectacle. We can see different story, uh, different stories being told different ways, and we can appreciate them for that. What's interesting is I think in many ways, Secret Invasion 2008 and Secret Invasion 2022 are a Marvel movie versus a Marvel Disney Plus show. Yeah. That if you did Secret Invasion as a movie, it would end up a lot more like the the big uh -huh. third scene yeah. action disaster uh -huh. that is the Bendis books. And because it's going to be a Disney Plus show, it's more likely going to be something like this. Right. So there we go. All right, sir. So got a couple other questions. So I think some of these we know the answer. Your favorite story of the week? Yeah, Secret Invasion from 2022. A simple story, quick quick read. I thought that uh, it portrayed Maria Hill very well. Uh, and I think had a nice lesson in there as well. So I, I cool. definitely re would recommend reading that. All right. And looks like you, you liked the artists this week. Yeah, and... the... <sighs> The art was good in both the Secret Invasion books. I will say that the 2008 Secret Invasion book was an absolute feast for the eyes. You there, It felt like because it was telling this epic action story that you were seeing epic action things happening, playing out in the panels. I mean, at the end of book one, near the end of book one, you have this, this face-off between Iron Man and the Avengers and Nick or Luke Cage and the secret Avengers facing off. And it's like three quarters of two pages, you know, across. And you've got, you know, kind of like the mm -hmm. Civil War look where you've got, you know, one row of heroes here, one row of heroes over here, and they're about ready to attack each other. Even though they're all human, pretty much. At least we think they are at that point. And then, as if that wasn't enough, the very next page, there's, all, there's like a three-quarters page panel of the sword uh, space station blowing up. And so it was just like... You couldn't, there was no breath, it felt like, in a lot of times. There was just yep. so much action, so much going on. And 
it was drawn really well. So like you could tell what was going on. I think the only thing that kind of dovetails into kind of the worst part of the week for me was because there were so many characters, because you had scrolls that were pretending to be heroes and stuff, it made it tough to figure out who was who and what was going on, which probably was the point, I think, in a lot of cases. It was like there was just supposed to be chaos, and it felt like there was chaos for seven books. There, there was chaos. That is 100% correct. There we go. So other than that, I guess if if somebody's listening to this, if you're out there listening to this, getting ready for what you're going to see in Secret Invasion, main takeaways, you're going to see aliens that can take the form of human beings. Those aliens are generally perceived to be dangerous, although more than likely they are more complex than that, in that there's some of them who are refugees on the planet, and there are some of them who are now aggressively trying to take over rather than live peacefully. You are going to have Nick Fury and his, I guess, not shield, but whatever they, they have now, uh, agents attempting to figure out what's going on and stop this infiltration. And then at some point, we're going to... I, I don't know. Will we see any heroes? Maybe not. Uh, the second Secret Invasion book did have cameos by a lot of the heroes near the end. But I don't know you need them. I think they can do this just as a as an espionage thriller where it's just him or or just, like, you know, agents. Yeah, the it, it does sort of seem like this, at least the Disney Plus show, based on kind of the trailers and stuff I've seen, It it is... Nick Fury is going to be the main character and we're going to get people like Maria Hill, people like, uh, oh God, I can't think of his, Rhodey, James Rhodes James as Rose. War Machine. Mm -hmm. We're going to see him, but we're not going to see anybody at kind of that A-list level, the Avengers level uh, of, of uh, hero in this story, I don't think. All right, Dan, I think we've covered Secret Invasion as best we can. Obviously, there's going to be a lot more that we can talk about after we get through the rest of the TV series. We will look yep. at that a little bit we'll later on. To... But where are we headed to next week? Right, by popular demand. We've, we've had a few people ask about this. We missed out on a movie a couple of weeks ago while we were doing The Flash. Little, uh, little, little thing called... Spider-Man into the or across the Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Spider so we're going to go and take a look at the comics that get Miles Morales started. Ultimate Fallout uh, number four, and then Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number one through twelve. So we're not going to try and deal with all of the Spider-Men of the multiverse, but we're going to get going on on Miles and then take a look at the wonderful movies of the uh the spider verse so i've loved both we i've seen both of those movies including the second one that just came out in theaters i'm very excited to look at at some comics that uh introduced miles morales as well and yep. uh get get some background before we look back at the movies again absolutely 
And with that, that is going to wrap it up for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on the show on Marvel Secret Invasion, the TV show or the comic books. If you read along with us this week, you can send us those comments via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com or you can reach out to us via social media. That address on Twitter is at comics over time. All right, Dan, I think that we've got I think I've got a little bit of a handle on Secret Invasion, so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how that rest of that series rolls out. But I'm really excited to see some more Spider-Man comics uh, as we uh, as we dive into the Spider-Verse for next week. Yeah, absolutely, Dwayne. That is going to be a lot of fun. I like these comics, and I enjoy talking about them with you. All right. Until next week, take care, everybody. Have a great one.